Um, so this week we're going to be continuing our series called Mind Games. So last week we talked about the idea of being discontent. We talked about how often we find ourselves in a place of discontentment in life. And whenever we're discontent, it causes a lot of mental issues for us, right? Um, and so we talked about how in our jobs, in our churches, in our marriages, in our families, the idea of discontentment coming in can really kind of mess some stuff up. And so today we want to continue with that because I feel like the three areas that we're going to talk about are discontentment, anxiety, and depression. And I feel like all three of these areas really work together as an attack of the enemy. Um, I, I believe that someone can go from being discontent to being anxious very quickly. I believe that people can go from being anxious to being depressed very quickly. And you can go from being depressed to being discontent very quickly. It's a very bad cycle that we get ourselves stuck in a lot of times. And so today we want to talk about how to continue to get out of that. So the word, discon- I mean, the word anxiety um, in the Bible, today's, today's topic is going to be anxiety. The word an- anxiety in the Bible literally means to be pulled apart or broken into pieces. To be pulled apart or broken into pieces. And so often in our life, we have this feeling on the inside. We get this feeling of being pulled apart. Anxiety comes from a place of fear and worry. So oftentimes whenever we read the scriptures and it talks about anxiety, um, the Bible will shift between fear, anxiety, and worry very seamlessly. Those three words work together a lot. And so we get anxious a lot of times and we, we struggle with anxiety a lot of times. I know for me... For example, there's, there are certain moments that I get very anxious, right? There are certain moments I get very anxious. And, and, and usually in those moments of, of anxiety, and this is one of the reasons, one of the keys to the message today, is the idea that anxiety typically comes from a place really of pride. It comes from a place of pride because anxiety says, I want to be in control, but I'm not in control. I want to control something, I have a desire to control something, but I can't control it because it's not something I'm ever meant to control. So my son Colt has a fear of heights, and we always joke about this, that, that he has a fear of heights. When we figured that out when he was little, because we would take him and we would hold him up in the air like this, and every time I would hold him up in the air, he would begin to latch on to me very quickly, right? Why? Because if he's on a ladder climbing, he's fine. But if someone else is in control of his body... He gets scared real quick. There's another place of anxiety that I suffer with sometimes, and it's, it's called having a 16-year-old son and, and riding in the passenger seat, right? And we're driving down the road, and G2's driving, and, and G2 doesn't understand the concept of, of, of easing on the brake or easing on the gas. For him, it's 100% both ways. It's just a green light, go. You know what I mean? Red light, stop. And we don't understand that concept yet. He hasn't figured that out. So whenever I'm in the passenger seat, I'm stomping a hole in the floor. Every time I see a car coming, I'm saying, brake, 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 brake. And I can't get him to stop the car. I want one of those, one of those um, uh, what is it, the driver's ed cars that has the brake on both sides. That's what I want. And, and, and I get anxious and I get scared. I get worried. Why? Because I'm no longer in control of the vehicle. Like I want to be, but I can't be because someone else is. And so that happens to us a lot of times in life. We, we get anxious and we get upset and we get worried because of things that are outside of our control. I'll talk about it later in the message, but Jesus did a whole series uh, when he did the Sermon on the Mount. He did a whole section on worry and worrying about different things. And in that, in that whole passage that he talks about in Matthew chapter 6, one of the things Jesus talks about is he says we worry about our food and our clothing. He says, why do you worry so much about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear? He says, don't you know God's going to take care of you? We worry about things that we don't have a lot of control over. Another, word, another way of viewing that, because some of you are saying, I do have control over what I eat or what I, what I wear because I put on my own clothes and I eat my own food. I, I get that. But what, what I think Jesus is talking about is our provision. Sometimes we don't have control over the economy. We don't have any control over the stock market. We, we, we try to work jobs or multiple jobs to, to make ends meet, but we don't always have control over what our boss is going to do. And so we get worried and consumed with that. Jesus even talks about that we worry not only about our provision, but he talks about we worry about our longevity. He says, how many of you through worry can even add one day to your life that we worry about our longevity and and what's going to happen to us and and, and how are we going to live our life? We worry about those things. 
Speaking of living a long life, one of the things I think is funny or ironic, it's not funny, haha, it's funny, like, curious, is, is the different generations. Like, like my generation right now, everybody wants to, to eat clean and organic and um, in kale and uh, vegetables and all these gross things that nobody likes, right? Like, that's what we desire is all these things. And we're, we're a bunch of vegans and vegetarians and paleos and, and um, Adkins. And we've got all the different diets and all the different things. And yet still we die. I don't know why it happens, but people die. It's a funny thing, right? The Bible says that everyone's appointed to die. But if you look back at another generation, my grandmother, my grandmother did not eat right all the time. My grandmother barely ate at all. Like my grandmother was one of those that if you got her a six, uh, six wings at KFC or whatever, six piece dinner at KFC, she would make that last about three months because she would eat one little, little bit and then put it back in the fridge and wrap it up in a napkin, Right. And, and that old woman lived until she was in her 90s. She drank coffee all the time. Constant flow of coffee. When they drew blood out of her, it was 95% coffee. I mean, that's just how she was. And she lived into her 90s. Perry's grandparents um, did not always eat the healthiest things in the world. They lived into their 90s. And here we are trying to be you know, worrying about how long am I going to live and I got to exercise and I got to do all this. Right. And I'm not saying stop exercising. That would like end half of our tithe here. So don't do that. I'm just saying it's important. These things are good, but it's, it's a worry that we get into that doesn't help us at all. It doesn't help us at all. And then Jesus even went on to, to talk about um, worrying about tomorrow. He said, you're so worried about what's coming when you should be worried about today. Like, live in the present, stop worrying about tomorrow, because you're so consumed with tomorrow, and you can't control tomorrow. You see, the, the theme here is a lack of control. A lack of control. And whenever I'm not in control, I get anxious and I get worried. Well, I want to read, uh, Peter is somebody that dealt with worry, right? He dealt with anxiety. We can read through Peter's story in the Gospels, um, we, we find one story where Peter's on a boat and, and the boat is about to sink and he's getting mad and yelling and screaming and freaking out. We, we see another story where Peter was on a boat and Jesus is walking on water. And the Bible says that Peter said, hey, it, it, can I come out there and walk on the water too? And Jesus said, yeah, come on, walk on the water. And Peter got on the water and the Bible said he walked almost to Jesus and then looked at the wind and the waves and got scared and started to drown. And it wasn't except for Jesus reaching out his hand and pulling him up by the water that he would have died because he was so fearful and anxious. And so Peter understands the concept of, of being anxious. Peter is also the same guy that when he was afraid when Jesus was getting arrested, Peter's the guy that pulls out a sword and tries to chop off someone's head. Like it's Peter that's denying Christ because he's afraid of what people think about him. So Peter has this issue with fear and anxiety throughout the Gospels, but there's a change in his life later on, and he becomes very bold, and he becomes very courageous. And, and so uh, he writes a couple of letters in the later part of the Bible, First. Um, first Peter is where we're going to go today, chapter five. And I want you to see, he's going to talk about anxiety in chapter five. And, and, and when we think about the term anxiety, some of you may think, yeah, you're not really being super spiritual today. Um, but I, I just want you to know that anxiety affects a lot of people. I, I read a stat where anxiety affects like, like 40 million people every year in the United States of America. That's just adults, not including kids. But those of you that are teachers, you know that anxiety affects children as well. Anxiety affects dogs and cats and animals. I mean, anxiety can affect a lot of different things. We, uh, we have that rescue dog that got dropped off here at the church, and I told you all about her, and, and now she's starting to escape, and so I'm having to, you know, trying to fill in all the holes, and, and, um, and she's so sweet. She escapes and just comes to the front door. I'm like, why did you escape if you're just coming? Like, you just came to the front door. I would have opened the back door. Yesterday, I had the back door open. She escaped and then came around to the front door. I'm like, you literally were right here. Like, you just... So she's not smart. She's not smart. She doesn't understand. Um, the other day, we, my dad went over to the house. One, one little story, I promise, and I'll, I'll get back to the word. But my dad went over to the house to do something in our backyard, and we walked in the backyard, and he found a Christmas present in the backyard, like an Amazon. You know, it was something that was ordered from Amazon um, and it was in our backyard, and the box was all chewed up, but the, the, the bottle was, uh, was still there. The thing that was, the gift was still there, and, um, and I was like, how in the world did it get in the backyard? 
Nola, the only thing we could figure, she got out of the back fence, went all the way around the house, grabbed the box off the front stoop, took it back around into the backyard so that she could chew up the box, but left the present intact. Okay, so, so that was pretty cool. Um, but anyways, even her, whenever she was rescued, I took her to the vet and her eyes were super bloodshot. And I asked the vet, I said, why are her eyes so bloodshot? What's wrong with her? And he said, that's 100% stress and anxiety. That whenever a dog gets stressed and anxious because they don't know where they are, they've been abandoned, they've been abused, that their eyes begin to get bloodshot. So I'm just telling you, this is very, very common. In this room, um, we may not want to admit it, but probably, probably a huge chunk of this room suffers or deals with anxiety at some point or another. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 9, this is going to be our main verse for the day, our main passage. Here's what the Bible says. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. A couple of things I want to point out real quick, and we're not going to go through this passage in any kind of particular order. I'm going to kind of be out of order today. But a couple of things I want to point out real quickly to you. First of all, verses 6 and 7, and I, I, I may have this in my notes for later, but I want to say it right now. It says this, cast your cares, right? It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But actually, if you were to look at verses 6 and 7, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. There's a period there where there should be a comma. Some translations put a period, some translations put a comma, because to try to ease the American English way of reading the Bible, whenever we read it, sometimes it seems to make more sense to put a period. But in the actual Greek that Peter would have written this in, the actual Greek just has a comma there. In other words, the idea of humbling yourself, being lifted up, and anxiety all ties in together. And because humbling yourself and anxiety are tied in together, that also draws in that other part of the scripture that you probably wondered, why is he talking about submit to each other? It ties all of that in as well. And it also ties in the idea that all of your brothers and sisters around the world are struggling with fear and anxiety. So I just want you to know this passage is not, when I first read it, um, I used to think, wow, Peter is just very sporadic in what he's writing. But he's not. He's very strategic in what he's writing. So the first thing we want to notice out of this is this, that the devil is looking to devour you. Right off the bat, let's start there. Let's start with the idea that Satan wants to devour you. He doesn't want to be your friend. He doesn't want to hang out with you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your job. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your ministry. He wants to destroy your church. He wants to destroy your business. He does not want to play with you. He wants to utterly divide and destroy you. So we need to understand that right off the bat. And then the next thing we need to understand that he wants to do that through anxiety. That's one of his tools. Now, he can do it through a variety of ways, I'm sure. He can, he can destroy us through lust, or he can destroy us through greed. He can destroy us through a lot of different things. But, but in this passage, Peter is saying that there's a weapon that he uses, there's a game he wants to play with you today that's called anxiety, and that's a way for him to utterly devour you. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's the thing about him prowling around. If you ever watch, um, if you ever watch National Geographic or you ever watch documentaries on, on the wild, I'm, uh, our family, uh, we're kind of nerds. And so we love documentaries. Absolutely love them. Um, I love watching documentaries about whales. I like whales. I like killer whales. I think they're amazing animals. Um, they're good hunters. I like lions. I like tigers. All of the animals. I like the big killer animals. The little mice don't have anything for them. Hope they get eaten by the hawk, right? Like that's my goal in a, in a documentary is to see the hawk eat something. So, um, so whenever you watch the ones about these lions, here's the thing that lions do. Um, all the apex predators do this. Lions, tigers, uh, killer whales, they all do the same thing. They are looking, they are looking for specific animals to hunt 
within a group of animals. There's specific ones they're looking for. And I want to show you what, what, what that looks like because anxiety begins to single you out to the predator. Here, here's what anxiety does. Anxiety makes me weak and unfruitful. One of the things that a lion looks for if he's looking at a group of animals, if he's going after a herd uh, of, of wildebeest or whatever the case is, zebras, he's not looking for the strongest one. He's looking for the weakest one. He's looking for the one that's sick. He's looking for the one that's slow. He's looking for the one that, that, that's kind of dragging behind everybody else. And, and the Bible says that anxiety makes us weak and unfruitful. Look at Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is in the middle, or, or actually towards the end of the story that Jesus tells about sowing the seeds, right? And he says some seed fell on good soil, some seed fell on rocky soil, some seed fell on soil that had, had weeds in it. And then later he explains it to the disciples. And here's what he says about the the one with the weeds. He says, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. Now, let me just point out real quick what we just said. Worry, anxiety, fear of this life, deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth is deceitful because we think if I have wealth that I won't have fear and anxiety anymore. If I just have more money, if I could just have more things. Wealth here isn't just coins uh, and, and dollar bills. Wealth is material possessions. If I can just have more. And then it says, and the desire for other things. Didn't we just talk about last week how we have a desire for other things called discontentment? I'm not content with what I have. I want what you have. I'm not content with my life. I want their life. I'm not content with my family. I want their family. I'm not content with my car. I want your car. Whatever the case is, we see that Jesus says, he says that, that, that whenever the word of God is sown in, in, in someone's life and they're full of worry and anxiety and fear, he says this, he says, they come in and they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Fear and anxiety and worry, discontentment, discouragement, depression chokes out what God wants to do in your life. And it makes you weak and unfruitful. You become unproductive. You become the person the enemy thinks he's got a shot for. He's looking at this herd right now. He's not trying to find who's doing the very best job and let me bring them down. That would, he would have to work for that. He's trying to find who's unproductive and doing nothing. My dad used to always say um, in church, we had a, when I was a kid, he, he pastored at this church and, and we had a balcony. And, um, and he used to always say, whether this is true or not, I don't know. Dad says things sometimes and you can never tell. But he would say, hey, I could always tell someone's level of, of commitment to God by where they sat in the church, Right. He said if they, they start off sitting on the front row, he said they're typically very committed to God. He said, but then if you watch them begin to slip back further and further in the back of the church, Gary and Sarah, y'all are in trouble. You're at the very back today. You slip back to the very back. Bobby's like literally hiding over here. So he's, I mean, don't listen to him when he's on stage. So they slip back to the back of the church. And he said, and that's, that is what it is. He said, but if you ever see them get up into the balcony. Like if they start out in the balcony, right? If they don't, they get to church early and they go straight to the balcony. He said, they're gone in six months, right? Like you can just tell, you can see people just moving back. And here's the idea. Here's the idea. This, that Satan isn't looking for front row people. He's looking for people that are on the outskirts and on the edges and they're unfruitful and they're unproductive and they've got nothing to do with church. Now, all of you sitting on the back rows today, we're in a very small church. You're going to have to sit on the back row at some point. It's okay. And I know I spit a lot when I preach, so front rows are usually empty. So I'm just making excuses for your sin right now. The second thing, the second thing that anxiety does that, that makes me a target for the enemy is that anxiety isolates me. Anxiety isolates me. Anxiety says you're the only one dealing with this, even though Peter just said people all around the world are dealing with the same problem you're dealing with. But anxiety says you're the only one. Anxiety says you need to get away from everybody. You need to hide from everybody. Listen, one of the biggest problems I've got right now with the whole, the whole COVID thing, and we don't talk about it anymore that much because it's not as, as big of an issue as it used to be. But when COVID first came out, how many of us operated out of fear instead of faith? How many of us said, I can't go somewhere? I can't. Now, we could go to Walmart. 
Because Walmart doesn't have COVID, but we couldn't go to church where God would bless us. Like, there are certain things we could do and couldn't do. And that's one of the things that still bothers me is how many times we isolate ourselves. And and some people think, oh, it's just COVID. No, 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 no. It was happening before COVID. It was happening before COVID. Because I remember people not coming to church because so-and-so had the sniffles. And I can't go to church. If they're sick, I'm not coming to church because I don't want to get sick. And I'm like, dude, it is the sniffles. Come on, let's go. Y'all don't want me to talk about that, obviously. I can tell. But the fact is, it happened in the Bible. Adam and Eve, I won't pull up the scripture, but Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis, they sin, and what's the first thing they do after they sin? They go hide in the bushes. They hide from God, the one person that can heal them of their sin. The one person they need to be around, they isolate themselves from, and God says, why are you hiding? And they said, we were afraid. I can imagine God saying, I've never given you one reason to be afraid your whole life. And now you're hiding out of fear. So anxiety and fear isolates us. Isolates us. I don't want to be around those people. I don't want to be around this. I don't want to be around that. Why? Because I'm afraid. I can't, I can't get out. The third thing that, that anxiety does is it makes us angry. And see, when we're isolated, we're afraid away from everybody. We're an easy target for the enemy. Another one is it makes us angry. Um, There's a scripture I'm going to share later on in the, in the message at the very end, but it's a passage where Jesus and the disciples are on a boat and a storm hits the boat. And when the storm hits the boat, Jesus is asleep. I love that story. I don't know how he slept through it. He must've been related to my wife. My wife can sleep through anything. And he was asleep on the boat. And the storm is raging and the disciples get upset. And here's what the disciples do. They go to Jesus and they say, don't you even care? They are like, if you, if you think about that, sometimes we read these words in the Bible and we think that the disciples are so holy and so, so Christian. They weren't even Christians then. Jesus hadn't died on the cross. They were just Jewish fishermen. They were normal guys like me and you. They didn't say, Jesus, don't you care? They were screaming and yelling at him, waking him up, shaking him, trying to get him up off the couch. Like They're like, hey, dude, we're dying, and you don't care anything about us, and we're bad, and we're upset. And that's what happens to us when we get fearful, and we get angry, and we get anxiety. We begin to lash out at everybody around us. That's why I think it's so, so silly, some of this stuff with the, with the whole COVID thing and the, the vaccinations and the mask. And, and are you vaccinated or you're not vaccinated? And, 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 and people are so full of anxiety over one or the other that we literally, people get mad at each other. Like I've seen people walking through parking lots. Uh, uh, this, is, this is a for real story. I've seen people walking through parking lots uh, of, of the mall or the restaurants or whatever. And they've got a mask on in the bald wide open with nobody around them. And they're wearing their mask. That's fine. I don't care. But I see other people getting mad because they're wearing a mask. And I'm like, why are you mad that they're wearing What difference does it make if they wear a mask? They could wear a hat and you wouldn't care. But if they put the hat on their face, all of a sudden it's a mask and now you're mad. I see some people getting mad at other people because they're in a parking lot without a mask. Uh, I, think, I think Beverly, our, our uh, administrative assistant here at the church, she was telling me one time that she had a lady in a parking lot yelling at her about not wearing a mask in the parking lot. And I get to thinking, I'm thinking, man, either people are just really mean or they're really afraid. And chances are they're really afraid. Like people are scared and they're anxious and they're worried. And so that's the thing that when they're either scared that they're going to get a virus or they're scared that someone's going to take away their freedoms or they're scared that we're scared about everything. We're scared about everything. And it makes us angry. It makes us angry. So how do we overcome anxiety? I need to hurry. I've spent way too much time telling stupid stories. I need to tell you the real stuff here. How do we overcome anxiety? The first thing we have to do, according to Peter, is be sober and alert. The Bible says in verse 8 of 1 Peter 5, uh, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The idea here is that we have to be sober and alert. These are key terms here. These are key terms, and there's a reason why. Luke 21, 34, Jesus is talking about the end of times. And Jesus is talking about there's going to come a point where I'm coming back, like I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back. 
And he's trying to help people to understand. He says, look, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be all these things that are like birth pains leading up to me coming back. And you need to be ready. He tells us stories about, about the ten virgins. And, and, and some of them, five of them had their lamps ready and five of them didn't. And the five that didn't got locked out of the wedding. And he tells all these stories about being prepared and being ready. And then he says this in Luke 21, 34. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down Notice that your hearts will be weighed down. Proverbs 12 says that anxiety weighs down the heart of a man. So Jesus says your hearts are going to be weighed down. Why? With carousing, with drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. In other words, if we are not sober-minded and alert, the end will come and we won't be ready for it. The enemy will come and we won't be ready for it. So we've got to be sober-minded and alert. One of the things about anxiety is most people, or many people, I shouldn't say most, many people try to self-medicate anxiety and fear. They try to self-medicate anxiety and fear with things like food. If I just eat more, right, it makes me calm down. It makes me, whatever, I just got to eat more. We, we do it with alcohol. If I just get drunk, I'll forget all my problems. If I can just, if I can just drink, we do it with partying. We do it with sex. We do it with food. We, we, we do it with drugs, uh, prescription drugs. If I can just, and now look, I'm not talking about if you've got a legit medical issue going on. I, I'm not talking about the doctor prescribed something for you. I understand that 100%. I get that. I'm talking about whenever the doctor doesn't prescribe something and you're digging through your medicine drawer and you find those, uh, those, those old pain pills from the surgery you had two years ago and you're popping five or six of them because you're so anxious and worried about the day that you're just trying to forget everything. You're so full of fear that you're taking whatever you can take to make yourself calm down instead of relying on the person you should be relying on. That's what I'm talking about. So we self-medicate and we think that these things are going to distract us from our fear and our anxiety. But the fact is your fear and anxiety are still going to be there when you wake up, when you get home, when you get out of the bed with that person. Your fear and anxiety are still going to be there. It doesn't make them leave. It may mask it for a minute, but it doesn't solve the problem. And we're not aware. We're not ready for the trap. So we got to stop. We got to stop doing those things. We got to be sober minded and we got to be alert. We got to pay attention. The other thing we've got to do is we've got to learn how to humble ourselves. To humble yourself means to put yourself in the lowest position, put yourself in the role of a servant. Uh, to humble yourself means to, to do things, to serve, uh, serve God, serve people without expectation. If you think about a servant, um, especially we don't like to use the word slave anymore, but, but sometimes the Bible uses the word slave. And, and I want to use that term because sometimes servant almost feels like someone gets paid to do something. But slave feels like someone doesn't get paid. They get nothing in return, right? And so the Bible says that we should be slaves to Christ. In other words, I do whatever Christ wants me to do without expectation of return. Although I know in the end that heaven, heaven waits, but here on earth, I don't serve God for money. I don't serve God for things. I don't serve God for anything. I serve God with zero expectation. I was talking to, um, to one of my couples that, I, that I'm doing premarital counseling with. And, uh, and so Josh and Kaylee get married in like two weeks. Is that right? Three weeks. I don't know how many fingers you held up, but was it three? Okay, good. I, I, then I started getting worried. Was it four weeks? Oh no. Um, so they're getting married soon. And one of the things I told them is I said, listen, you two, the Bible says that Jesus serves the church and y'all have to learn to serve each other without expecting anything back. Why? Because that's called humility. I put myself in a low place. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 7, that talking about Jesus, that he gave up his divine privileges and he took a humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. We've got to learn to be humble. We've got to humble ourselves. The Bible says this, if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. He says it's better to throw yourself on the rock than the rock to fall on you. So we got to learn how to be humble. So a couple of areas where we can be humble. Number one, we can be humble towards one another. We can be humble towards one another. First Peter 5, 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit to yourselves to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, when he says, when he says clothe yourselves with humility, I wish I would have brought a towel up here today. Peter understands this very, very well. Because there's a story in the Bible, in, in the Gospels, where Jesus decides to wash the disciples' feet. 
And the Bible says that Jesus took off his outer garment and picked up a towel and wrapped a towel around himself like a servant or a slave would do and then began to wash the disciples' feet. He humbled himself even to his disciples. Now, Peter, when he says clothe yourself, the word there in the Greek means to literally wrap a towel around yourself. Peter is referring back to what he saw Christ do. And he's saying, if you want to get over your anxiety, you have to humble yourself. How do I humble myself? First, I humble myself to those around me. I can't act like I've got it all together and that I've got all the answers. I can't pretend like I'm in control of everything. At some point, I've got to understand that other people have better answers than I do, and I need to lean on them. When I was talking to Josh and Kaylee, I also told them, I said, you need to find a couple that's a little bit older than you, a couple that's got a few scars, a couple that's been through a few battles. You need to find a couple that you can, you can lean on and you can talk to. Don't find a couple that's on your same level because they're going through the same problems you're going through and they don't know what they're doing. That's called the blind leading the blind. You're both going to fall in a ditch, right? Don't talk to somebody that's single. They sure as heck don't know what you're going through, right? Leave them alone. You got to go find somebody that's been through some battles, that's had a few wars, and you got to find somebody that you can go in and you can say, hey, listen, this is what my family's going through right now, and we need your help. You got to open yourself up. For those of you in your job or in your business or, or, or in life, you got to find some men and women in your life that have a few scars on them, and you got to go talk to them, and you got to open up your life to them. Don't expect them to come to you, you got to go to them. Whenever I first started, since I haven't talked about uh, fitness in like two weeks probably. So um, when I first started working out at, the, at, at, at CrossFit, one of the things that I did is I tried to go in and I tried to talk to the coaches as much as I could. And I remember Candace was, um, y'all like Candace because she's so sweet and she's so kind and she gets on stage and she sings and does a lovely job. And but that's not the real her. She's mean, she's hateful, and she does it in a sweet, kind way, and you don't know it. And I would be trying to do something, and Candace, I'd say, Candace, am I doing this right? And she'd say, well, you, uh, you look kind of like a fish. And I was like, well, that hurts my feelings. I wasn't expecting to look like a fish. I wanted to at least look like a monkey. That's closer to a human than a fish. You look like a fish. And so I tried to talk to people. I would go up. I remember um, one day going to the gym, and, and I was trying to learn how to do a, a particular movement, and I didn't know how to do it. And so I watched another person, um, Kaylee, Josh isn't here today, but, but it was Josh. And I was watching Josh do this, and I just finally got up the nerve, and I walked over to Josh, and I said, hey, man, I don't want to interrupt you, but I don't know how to do what you're doing, and I'm really trying hard to do it. And he stopped what he was doing, and he came over to me, and he coached me up for like an hour, like to the point I was like, I'm ready to go home, and you're still here coaching me, you know, like, let me go. The point is this, in life we have to humble ourselves and submit to one another. And the Bible says here to elders, he says, you young people, go find an elder. What's an elder? An elder isn't an old person, right? Y'all think that is, y'all think that's what it is. I do call my dad an elder because he is old. But an elder is not an old person. An elder is somebody that's been through it before you. An elder is someone that you can stand on their shoulders. An elder is someone that's going to help you, give you wisdom and understanding. So you got to find those people in life that are going to help you get over your anxiety. There's some things that you're anxious and you're scared about, but if you would just go talk to an elder, that elder would tell you that you're being foolish and you're being silly. And sometimes we need to hear that. Because that elder's already been through what you've been through. They know what's on the other side. So we got to find people that we can be um, humble towards. The other thing we need to humble ourselves for is we need to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And I'm almost done, I promise. Under God's mighty hand, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble, your there, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Being under his hand means we are allowing him to be the king. See, as long as I'm holding on to my anxiety, as long as I'm trying to run my life, as long as I feel like I'm in control of everything, I'm not under anybody's hand but my own. But as soon as I humble myself, I humble myself to my elders, and then I humble myself to God, and I want to put myself under his hand, that means he is now elevated to a higher place, and I am, I am going lower to a lower place so that his hand is on top of me. His hand is over me. His hand is a hand of authority, and his hand has authority over my life. In Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 33, in Jesus' sermon about worry and fear and anxiety, here's what Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's the thing that happens. When we humble ourselves under God's hand, we are putting God in his place of rightful authority as king. He can't be the king of a kingdom if he's not the king. There's no kingdom without a king. So we seek his kingdom. We seek him being in charge over us. And whenever he's in charge over us, his hand, I'll give you some some peas here, like all preachers are, are supposed to do. His hand is a hand of provision. He provides everything you need. When you're worried and you're scared and you don't know if I'm going to have enough food for tomorrow, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money, I don't know if I'm going to have enough whatever, his hand is a hand of provision. When we trust him, when we put him in a place of kingship over us, a place of lordship over us, his hand provides for us. His hand is a hand of protection. It protects us when the enemy attacks. I was listening to... um, I mean, I was reading this, this old preacher named Charles Spurgeon, and one of the things he, Charles Spurgeon said about this passage is he says the enemy comes around like a roaring lion, but really all he does is he should just be, um, he should just be forcing the sheep closer to the shepherd. He says when the enemy comes like a lion, you just get closer to the shepherd, and then you're not worried. Why? Because his hand of protection is over you. He's got a hand of promotion The Bible says he will lift you up in due time. That's his time, not your time. Some of us are worried and anxious because we haven't been lifted up. God, when am I going to get this promotion? When am I going to step into this this next step of my life? When am I going to get married? When am I going to do whatever, have kids? When am I going to, I don't know what it is. I'm just making stuff up. When am I going to retire? And I'm not going to, listen, God will promote you when he's ready to promote you. But he can't promote you if you're not under his hand. As long as you stay outside of his reach, Peter, you're going to drown in the water. But at least Peter got close enough that Jesus could reach out and pull him up. We got to stay close to his hand. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And then tying into that is casting your anxiety on him. Casting your anxiety on him. It's admitting that you can't be in control. When I cast my anxiety on him, it means I'm not in control anymore. You're in control. I can't take care of this problem. Only you can take care of this problem. So I'm going to lean in. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. How do I do that? Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says this. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every single situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The word prayer there is good. We know what it means. Talk to God. Petition there, though. Bobby and I were talking before service, and he was telling me about Leighton crying out. And I said, Bobby, that's exactly what I'm going to be preaching on today. I said, because the word petition there in the Greek means to cry out. It means, uh, this isn't just a normal prayer request. This isn't praying over my food. This isn't, you know, uh, Lord, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. This is something that's deep from inside of me. This is a petition. This is, I am on the floor crying out to God. So so what uh, Paul is saying in Philippians is he's saying, listen... If you're anxious, don't be anxious. Instead of being anxious, take all that anxiety, take all that fear, take all that worry that's down inside of your heart and pull it up and lay it all out before God. Give Him everything you've got. Throw it all on Him. Cast your cares. Cast your anxiety. How? Through prayer and petition. Through crying out. You know what? Some of us are too prideful to petition God. Most of us are humble enough to pray about it but we're too prideful to petition about it. Either that or your problem ain't that big. But I've been through some issues in my life where I had to leave the bedroom and I had to go to the other side of the house, which wasn't far because it was a single wide trailer. And I had to go to the other side of the house and I had to go to the spare bedroom and I had to lay on the floor and I had to cry out to God and I had to weep and I had to be humbled and embarrassed because I don't like to cry. But I had to do that. Why? Because I was in a place where I was petitioning God. I needed a move of God and I was so scared about my future and I was so worried about what was going to happen and I was so anxious about my life that I had to go dump it all out. Sometimes we're dealing with some issues and we're just too prideful to petition God. We're too prideful to go to the spare bedroom and just dump everything out. Why? Because my kids might hear me. My kids might hear me. My wife might hear me. My husband might hear me. My neighbor might hear me. My roommate might hear me. I can't do that. Well, then you really don't want help. I remember growing up as a kid... 
I don't know what they were petitioning about, but I, I always remember my parents at the weirdest times. My dad at like 5 a.m., probably the reason I wake up so early is because I would wake up at 5 a.m. hearing my dad in the living room crying out to God, not praying, petitioning. I remember um, going upstairs and feeling super convicted because I would go to play video games, right? Like I'm going to go get my Nintendo out and I'm going to play my video games. And I could hear my mom through the wall in her bedroom crying out to God at nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Crying out to God, petitioning God for something. Those things had impact on my life. So if you're embarrassed of what your wife or your husband or your kids or your neighbor or your roommate, if you're embarrassed of what they might hear, can I just tell you from somebody that heard their parents petitioning God, it makes an impact that's deeper than anything you can say to them. Learn to petition God. That's how we cast our cares on Him. The Bible then says, Paul says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When I'm anxious and I'm fearful and I'm worried, you know what I need? I need peace. And it's not a peace that I can drum up. It's not a peace that I can drink. It's not a peace that I can, I can swallow. With. It's not a peace that I can get from anybody. It's a peace that only God can give me. And how does he give it to me? He gives it to me whenever I'm petitioning him. When I lay it all out, then his peace guards my heart and my mind. I like this. It's not part of my sermon, but I'm going to throw it in anyway. I said it last week. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Paul said that in the context of anxiety. And I just want to throw this in as a little side note. If you're anxious, if you're anxious about the economy, watching CNN is not going to help your anxiety. If you're anxious about the government, watching Fox News 24 hours a day is not going to help your anxiety. If, if, if you're concerned and you're worried and, and, and all you're listening to is pumping your head full of stuff that continues to feed your anxiety and your worry, if you're anxious about your, about your relationships, watching TV shows and movies that are all about cheating or adultery or divorce, that's not going to help your anxiety. Like, like if you're anxious about violence, you think, oh, my dad was violent, my granddad was violent, and then all you do is watch violent things and hang out, that's not going to help your anxiety. Paul says, feed yourself the right things. Feed yourself the right things, and then it's going to help with your anxiety. That was a little side note. I just want to throw that in there. I say that because I remember one time, as a kid growing up, my parents have always had a good marriage, and, and, um, and I've never had a, there's never been an issue that I know of. But I remember as a kid growing up, I was always anxious about my parents uh, getting, splitting up. Like, I would have nightmares. Like, little kids have nightmares about monsters or sharks in the bottom of the swimming pool. I would have nightmares about my parents splitting up. I'd have nightmares about my parents cheating on one another. Those would be my nightmares. And they never gave me any reason to have that nightmare. It was just this weird anxiety that came upon me as a little kid. I'm saying that to say this, little kids have anxiety too that they don't know what to do with. And I never really expressed that because I didn't know how to express it. I was just always worried about it. And I remember um, as I got older, that anxiety would, would start to shift from, from their marriage, then it shifted to my marriage. And then I, was, I would get anxious as an adult about my marriage. And, and what happens whenever you get anxious about your marriage, you become, become jealous and you become controlling. And so I didn't want to do that. And so I remember kind of fighting through those anxieties. And I remember one time there was this TV show, and, and it was called uh, Mad Men. I don't know if anybody's ever watched it. If you have, don't raise your hand. And, um, and I'm not saying anything about Mad Men. I, don't, I could care less. I don't ever say the name of the show. But, um, but here's the point of the, the story. The point of the story is one time someone said, hey, you ought to watch Mad Men. It's a great show. I was like, okay, cool. So I turned on Mad Men on Netflix. And like the very first thing that's happening is it's people cheating on their spouse. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, that's not for you. I turned it off, never turned it back on again. Why? Because there's already an, a, a tendency for an anxiety in my life. Why would I feed that tendency? Sorry, I never shared that before. That was weird. Um, about the anxiety, I've shared about the madman. I've never shared the anxiety part. And so sometimes whenever you're talking... I'm not really, for those of you that are new, I'm not that great of a preacher. Sometimes I say things I probably shouldn't say. That might have been one of them. 
Let's end right here. Let's get done so I can get off the stage. Is it hot in here? I just got hot, like really fast, all of a sudden. Is it emotional? Is there stuff in in our eyes right now? Is everybody else tearing up? Um, Just kidding, I'm not. Final thought. The Bible says this. In in 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. You know why? I, what I think is a problem with our anxiety is we're anxious because we think nobody cares. We're anxious because we think nobody understands. We're anxious because we think that nobody loves us. And so we get into this place of fear and anxiety because we think there's nobody to help us out. In Mark chapter 4, this is where I'm going to end, Mark four thirty-seven and 40. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus in the stern was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you even care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, said, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. Verse 40, though, is key. And then he said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? He could have said, Why are you so anxious? Why are you so worried? Then he says this, do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? Anxiety is a place where I don't have faith. I can call myself a Christian all day long. But a Christian, by definition, is someone who has faith in Christ. Faith means to trust, to believe, to give your life over to But whenever I'm anxious, I don't have faith. I don't trust him. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and says, don't you still have faith? Like, where is your faith in all this? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so scared? And he says, it's because of your faith. There's a faith issue here. There's a trust issue here. The disciples looked at Jesus and they thought he was disinterested. They're like, we're going through a storm and you don't even care. How many of us have been through a storm in our life when we felt like God wasn't there? Like, if we're going to be real, if we're going to be honest, how many of us have been through a storm? Don't raise your hand, but think about it. How many of us have been through a storm and we thought, God didn't even care about me? If God really cared, he wouldn't allow this to happen. Can I tell you something about that storm? The Bible says that when they got to the other side of the boat, I mean, to the other side of the the lake, that a demon-possessed man came up and Jesus healed him. Like, there there was something Jesus had to do on the other side of the lake. There was purpose and destiny for Jesus on the other side of the lake. So Jesus understood that the storm couldn't kill him because there was still a plan for his life, that there was something else on the other side of the storm. And so it wasn't that Jesus didn't care. It was that Jesus trusted God so much that he had peace to sleep through the storm. Had the disciples trusted Jesus... It wouldn't have been a matter of calming the storm. It would have been a matter of sleeping through it. We've got to put ourselves in a place where we're under his hand. We've got to put ourselves in a place where we're close to his heart. We've got to put ourselves in a place where we stop worrying and feeling anxious and angry. Why? Because those things just isolate us and make us a target for the enemy. We've got to stop filling our heads up with stuff that promotes our tendencies towards fear and anxiety. And we've got to start filling our heads up with things that are pure and noble and praiseworthy. We've got to start putting ourselves under his hand. And you need to hear something today. It's not that he didn't care. He just knew they could make it through the storm. Some of you have been through some storms. Some of you are going through a storm right now. It's not that God doesn't care about you. He does. He loves you deeply. He loves you deeply. But he knows as long as he's in your boat that you're going to make it through the storm. So don't get mad. Don't get upset when you feel like he's not here. He's here. He's with you. He just knows this isn't the end of your story. And he's going to get you to the other side. Why don't you stand up with me today? taken a lot of your time today so we'll move quickly but with a purpose here's what I want you to do there's nothing magic about this but I want you to close your eyes I feel like 
I feel like sometimes when our eyes are closed, we can be a little bit more honest. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But sometimes when our eyes are closed, it cuts us off from the people around us. And for the next two minutes, I just want you to be cut off from the people around you. I want you to be cut off from what happened last night. I want you to be cut off from what's going on after church today. I just want you to get alone for just a second with the Holy Spirit. And let's allow God to do the work that he came here to do today. See, I believe God is in this house today because he cares for you. And there's, a, there's an enemy that wants to devour you. There's an enemy that wants to destroy your family. There's an enemy that wants to destroy your finances. There's an enemy that wants to destroy your business. There's an enemy that wants to destroy your soul. And God cares for you today. And he wants the best for you. Because he loves you. And he wants to get you to the other side. But here's the problem. We've got to be willing to humble ourselves. We've got to be willing to repent. We've got to be willing to turn towards him and turn away from the things that are drawing us further and further away. We've got to be willing to repent of the fear and the anxiety and the doubt and the worry. And we've got to be willing to repent of the fact that we don't trust him as much as we say we do. And we need to put our lives back in his hands. Maybe you're not serving him at all today. Maybe he's not your Lord and Savior. Maybe he's not the king on the throne in your life. Maybe you've been ruling your own life. And and you know what? You're seeing that your way of ruling is not working. And if that's you this morning, if you say, I need Christ, I need to give him my life. If that's you, just slip your hand up. You can put it right back down. Just acknowledge it before God. Yep, 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 yep. Lots of people. The other one is this. If you say, Gabriel, I'm just struggling with this area of anxiety and fear and worry. I just struggle with anxiety today. I'm, I, I'm dealing with it, and it's just a place where I, just, I haven't allowed God to be on the throne. I keep trying to take control. I keep trying to run things, and I'm just, man, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my whatever the case is. If that's you today and you're dealing with anxiety on any level, just you can put your hand up. You can put it right back down. I just... Sometimes it's good to just acknowledge the fact that, yes, it's me. Yes, it's me. Sometimes we let people come down to the front and pray, and and we're going to do that this morning before we leave. My parents, Mom, Dad, you guys come on down to the front. Gary and Sarah, I know y'all are back in the back. If y'all could come down to the front, too, and help me out. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to pray for you. And then if you want someone to pray with you today, we've got some elders in our church. We've got some people that have a few scars. They've been through a few battles. And they'd be willing to pray with you about any of your fear and anxiety today. But I want to pray for you first, and then I'm going to let you guys pray with them. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for every hand that was raised, every heart that was open. And I just pray right now that you would, you would come in and you would forgive us of our sin, God. I pray, first of all, that you would lead us and guide us into a relationship with you. So first and foremost, God, we want to repent of any sins. We want to turn away from our sins. God, we don't want to commit those things anymore. We want to put our trust and our faith in you and you alone. Not in us, not in the government, not in in our money, not in the bank. We want to put our trust and faith in you. And we depend on you. We lean on you today. God, I pray that you would take away our fear today. I pray that as we cast our fears and our anxieties on you, as we take an active step to petition you today, God, I pray that you would alleviate those fears and anxieties. And instead, I pray for the peace of God that transcends all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need special prayer today, I want you to slip out of your seat. We're going to sing a little bit. Bobby will dismiss. But if you need special prayer, come find one of these elders. Let them pray with you this morning.